We've all heard this expression that fits with these different things here. Thanks, Karen, for finding these images for me. We've all heard the expression, one size fits all, right? Some of these things might come to your mind when you hear that expression. Think of that phrase, one size fits all. This week as I was working on my message, I, I, I thought of that phrase. I thought about the positive connotations that come along with one size fits all. Let's say you're in the market for a new watch, right? And, and I don't mean one of those crazy smart watches that tells you how soon you're going to die. I mean if you use them correctly, right? But just a regular old wristwatch, you know, the one that you buy off the shelf that's marked one size fits all. Might have a bicycle helmet with a ring fit system, marked universal fit, which is close to saying one size fits all. Um, speaking of headgear, you might have a baseball cap with your favorite team name on it. I'd say Chicago Cubs, even though I'm in Tigers country. Yeah. <laughs> the cap itself, though, is likely to be labeled one size fits all, even if you're in Michigan as a Cubs fan. Even though none of these things are a part of these, these are some other things that would be marked one-size-fits-all possibly. The point being these items are adjustable to the individual. Uh, they should accommodate nearly anyone who tries to wear them, right? But there are definitely some downsides, some negative aspects to one-size-fits-all. Uh, no one wants to see one-size-fits-all on a pair of shoes. There are typically a few different kinds of feet out there. Unless you go bowling, then everybody wears the exact same shoe, and they're all ugly. A pair of shoes, a lot of regular clothing in general, is not going to be one-size-fits-all. A man's size 34 pant, I'm sorry to say, is not going to fit me today. It might have fit me at, at age 12 or so. I've graduated a few sizes larger than this from all the oatmeal, cream pies, and chili. I just like to say I've become a bigger man than I used to be, you know? But it's not just clothing that can be viewed as questionable when it comes to one-size-fits-all. Oftentimes, we'll see a piece of legislation introduced by someone, passed off by one-size-fits-all. And meanwhile, you're sitting there going, hey, wait a second, this doesn't seem to fit me at all. Are there times that one-size-fits-all works when it comes to governing people? Not in a lot of places. But you get the point. I was uh, doing some research this week about the expression. There's absolutely uh, not a lot you can find out about it. I was surprised, but it's been in popular use for about 50 years, I did find out. Maybe you're wondering, what in the world does this have to do with our message this morning? Well, there's one thing that we can consider one size fits all. And as I've said before, it's the goodest news we've ever heard. This thing called grace, amen? The grace of God. It's the one thing guaranteed to be one size fits all. And we've got a couple of verses that we want to spend some time meditating on this morning. The grace of God. Uh, Titus 2.11 puts it this way. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Salvation, one size fits all. What Jesus has given to us. Perhaps the most well-known verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Go ahead and say it. Have eternal life, amen? God has brought salvation for all people. God so loved the world that he gave his Son to the world. And Jesus Christ therefore came to all of us 
What's more, he became one of us. Not so that we might have our wrists or feet covered like an article of clothing so much that we might have our sins covered. Our sins covered. One size fits all. Except no substitutions. Can I get an amen? But what might puzzle us is if grace is intended for the whole world, salvation is come to all people of the world, then why in the world won't Jesus save the whole world, right? That's a really good question. If one size fits all, but not necessarily, not necessarily, because not everyone will be won over for divine love. That is, not all individuals are going to accept the grace of God, even though it fits them. That's a hard pill to swallow. That's difficult for us to understand. How could you not accept the grace of God as it's been offered to you? The Unitarian Church's 1805 statement said, quote, a loving God would never condemn any of his beloved creatures to an eternity of damnation. But contrary to this, contrary to what we'd like to think or believe or imagine, the Bible does teach in Matthew and Revelation that hell is indeed a place of damnation and it burns forever. And you and I don't automatically receive eternal life just because we've been given, offered the gift. We just passed uh, Valentine's Day this week. Uh, some of you, if you celebrate, you may have received a Valentine's gift or card from somebody, and if you're married to them, I certainly hope you accepted that Valentine. Maybe we should get together and talk a little bit if, if you didn't. But What happens when we don't accept God's Valentine? What happens? Freely given. Ever since Eden, the devil has tried to convince us over and over and over that we don't need the free gift or the grace of God, right? That we're good enough just being comfortable in our own skin. Ever hear that silly expression? I feel comfortable in my own skin. But God's word tells us that we're out of options. That grace on a personal level is conditional, right? Yes, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, football fans, but John 3, 16 doesn't stop there. In the stands, it goes on. The Bible says that not everyone is going to accept the free gift that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And there's a condition. There's a condition. Some Christians may try to argue that we can't do anything about this free gift. We either get it or we don't. God has already determined from long before we got here whether we're going to receive it or not. But we need to note the language used in Scripture. We need to understand that this word believe is an action word, right? It's an action word. It falls on us. The ESV study guide notes believe can mean whoever personally trusts in him. It's intimate. It involves a response. Also, don't ever let anyone stand behind a pulpit and convince you that salvation comes to you or the world without obedience. Because the message of grace itself, if you think about it, can't travel this whole world over without the obedience of a few world travelers, can it? Which is exactly what we've seen happen over the last couple thousand years. And this is why it's imperative that we Christians continue to believe, continue to press on, as Paul writes in Jesus, because the grace of God has appeared in our life. But not everyone's going to accept it. And not everyone knows about it. 
So what are we going to do about that? What are we going to do about that? Our God has literally saved us from death. Are we grateful to him that he has been full of grace for us? Does any of the following uh, ring true to any of us about the ones that get away from us? I'm not necessarily talking about fishing stories. This is a great picture right here. Makes me a little uncomfortable standing right in front of it. But think about this scenario. I borrowed this, but I liked it a lot. You're out in God's country, right? Some of you might know what I mean by that. God's country. See that on postcard. You might see that over this picture written down. You see, you, you hear cries for help. And you see someone being carried downstream. They're in a raging river. The person, they're flailing their arms. They're going under. They're coming back up. They're struggling to keep afloat. And what's happening? Well, they're drowning. So you jump in. You, you risk your life to pull them out of the raging rapids. And you're successful. A life is saved. You both make it to the shore. You're gasping, breathing heavily. The individual coughing. They're scrambling to catch their breath. Eventually chokes up the words, Thank you so much. I almost died back there. But then immediately you turn around and see that person get up, turn and run, and jump back foolishly into the rapids. What would you be thinking at that point? Would you stand there in shock, confused about what had just happened, maybe wondering whether that individual had all their marbles? Maybe test your patience just a little bit. You just risked your very life, you know, to save that individual, just to watch him turn around and jump right back into the very circumstances that nearly killed him. But the story doesn't stop there, right? Now imagine after this person foolishly jumps back into the rapids, then you hear them calling to you for help, to save them. Now what do you do? Well, I know what I'd be thinking. No way, Jose, you made your bed, now sleep in it, and other cliches. You got yourself into this, get yourself out, right? Might sound like a ridiculous scenario. Who would respond in this way? And yet Jesus, by his grace, what does he do? He draws us out of the world, saves us. And yet so many of us who come out of those raging rivers by his hands actually turn and jump right back in in disobedience. We do it constantly, constantly. We see it all the time, constantly, don't we? You may think of a friend or a neighbor or a relative. And I think the problem, my friends, is too often we expect Jesus to get us out of worldly danger without us actually having to change our worldly ways. But that just puts us back in deep water. Jesus has died for the whole world, but Jesus isn't going to force anyone to accept his salvation. He's not going to force any of us. Here's a question. How often, folks, do you take your, uh, you don't have to raise a hand or anything, but how often do you take your Valentines for granted? Or your, your friends or your family members or those people in your life? I sure do love my wife. And I'm not just saying this because she's the closest person to me. I don't always appreciate my wife the way she should be appreciated. I know what the Bible says. I'm supposed to love my wife the way Christ loved the church. <laughs> and that's, I'm serious. I don't do that. If you're anything like me, you've heard about God's love for the world and that God so loved the world. 
You've heard these words, John 3, 16, so many times in so many ways. And even this morning, you probably sat down and looked at the scripture for today and you thought, really? Really, preacher? Some of us can probably even say John 3, 16 phonetically backwards in our sleep, you know, life, eternal, have, and so on, right? We see it at how many football games, heard it referenced around wrestling matches, out on the interstate on decals, bumper stickers, probably even across political signs. Billy Graham once said that he spent most of his preaching career just trying to get this message across to the masses. Author Max Lucado told the story of a glossed-over sermon. Meticularly researched, he was preparing to deliver before deciding from the pulpit at the very last moment to abandon it. He chose a, an impromptu message on John 3.16. He was so familiar with its language, so familiar with the gospel message contained here. It's no overstatement to say that John 3.16 is perhaps the most well-known scripture in the entire Bible. It's been translated to over 1,100 languages. 26 of these uh, translations even included in the preface of the Gideon New Testament. So let's read it again, because we've heard it so many times. I think it's lost on us, what it truly means. Does it motivate our hearts and feet for the Lord, the gospel message that saves the world? Would you read it out with me together, John 3, 16? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Amen. Amen. So is it possible that we, the church, maybe we can feel some conviction about any time we waste in not extending the message of the gospel past ourselves? I know I have. I, I know I can be guilty of being a, a grace hoarder, if you will. Now, there's nothing wrong with this. This looks really nice. Uh, come to find out, this is actually at a, at a shopping mall, so... Might not want to spend hours doing it, but this looks like a good way to spend uh, the Sunday afternoon, right? To me, it does. Um, I guess that's how you know that you have kids of a certain age when this is what you'd rather spend your time doing. But do we get a little too comfortable? I have one of these big old rocker recliners in my house. Well, I had two of them, but I've also got little kids, and that's another story. I'll go into it in another sermon. <laughs> So I got one now, <laughs> and it's a cozy one. I can fall asleep in that chair just beautifully. And these days, you know, you have, you have your comfortable chair, you have a, a smartphone, you have a TV remote, and, and what? It can pick up everything, right? Everything from Netflix to DirecTV to Hulu to Roku and Voodoo and Pikachu and Mr. Sulu. If you're like me, my guess is you're not starved for entertainment or options for entertainment to pass time away until Jesus comes back for me because I have the gospel message. I'm good with God. But there's only one problem. I'm not convinced that everyone in my neck of the woods already believes in and follows Jesus. The pressure is not off me to build the kingdom. How about you? I'm fairly certain there are those who reject, have backslidden from, or otherwise don't know Jesus living up and down Crystal Road here, maybe even right on our corner. 
And if I can get my car and I drive down this street, go either way. I'm not convinced I won't find a single non-believer in the area around me either. So it's a little bit of problem. A little bit of problem for my uh, Netflix binging ways, right? For wherever there are people made in the image of God, where you find a person, there's someone made in the image of God. People who are so loved by God. Every individual, every person. What does this say about my shoulder shrugging on Valentine's Day, right? My taking for granted, my time in the big comfy chair, my limiting my time away from doing what Jesus wants me to do. Maybe you remember this saying from a few years ago. It's kind of a goofy one. I used to hear it a lot in certain areas. People would say, it's all good. You remember that? You remember when people would say that a lot? It's all good. You don't hear it as much anymore, maybe because people woke up to notice one day, you know, it's, it's not all good. <laughs> it's really not. There's a lot of dysfunctional family situations and broken homes and broken families and selfishness and addiction and idolatry and all of it comes down to a lack of Jesus, right? Right under our Montcalm County noses, we have some false teachers, we have some cults, we have groups who stand against the word of God, propagate false prophecy and lies about who Jesus is. This isn't just people in China, although it does include them. People in Vesterberg and surrounding areas, too. We have hellbound within our reach, right around us, all around us. And you know, instead of weighing my options on the TV remote, maybe it should behoove me to weigh my options in spreading the gospel, in sharing the gospel, in living the gospel. To remember, I've been blessed in knowing his divine love. And to remember that I will personally be held accountable for my passing it on. Because someone died for me, but he's not going to force me to accept what he's done. And that goes for everyone else. So is the church step one, right? Knowing that God loves us to death. And then step two, realizing God loves others too. Some of which are not of our group yet. And so often we, we want to hang on to that first step. But we're urged to perpetuate the name of the Lord. And God's people have been called to do this since the beginning. Would you turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 12? We're going back a long way, almost to the beginning. But I do have it on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bible with you. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Moses writes this. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And then in verse 3, what does God say? I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, I don't know how comfortable Abraham's recliner was in his home country. I do know that God waited to call him for service when he was, what, 75 years old? Verse 4 goes on to tell us this. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 
But because of servants like Abraham, it all had to begin somewhere. We know about God today. I know that probably there's, there's many of us, probably, you know, let's say 75, maybe deservedly so, maybe think less at this point about saving the world and more just about seeing our grandkids every once in a while, right? Because they never call. One author writes, Abraham was sent as a blessing, not just to his family or the families of the Jewish people, but to be a blessing to everyone, everywhere. It's amazing. God didn't just send Abraham to the world to work even only in favor of his people, the people that would be the Jewish people. But God used Abraham as the vehicle to bless everybody. Think about it. The bloodline of Jesus Christ. One commentator continues, John 3.16 is evidence that like Abraham, it is through Jesus that God is seeing to it today. All families of the earth are blessed, aren't we? We're all blessed because of Jesus. Through the continued sons of Abraham, his followers, those who are willing to get up and go and serve. No matter when, God says, God so loved not just Old Testament Israel, not just New Testament church. And that's good news for us in the, in the U.S. today, amen? But the bad news is this. It's also up to God's people everywhere to spread the word, no matter who or where or when or how old you are. Abraham and the apostles did it. We can do it too. I'm guilty sometimes of just assuming that the last time we saw Jesus, something like this came out of his mouth. Okay, Josh, I did all the work on the cross. It's time for you to take a load off. I know that's not what he said, but I like that better. I like that better. But he said something else, and I know this too. We've got it on our sign out front here. That great commission at the end of Matthew. Go teach, baptize, right? The whole world isn't going to let him or don't know that he has died for them. And so Christians, we're not just working in favor of our fellow Christian. That's an oddball segment of our movement that, that seems to be happening these days. But Christians let the Father use us as he's used the Son, as he's always used us to go, to go into the world, for God so loved the world. Evangelism for Jesus may seem like we're trying to fill some big shoes, but these are one-size-fits-all, truly. And so we put on those shoes, maybe sandals. We go to the lost people of the world, not because we necessarily love the work of evangelism, but because we know God loves those people. God loves the lost. Do we love them too? Do we love them too? What do we do? We go to our friends. We go to our neighbors. We, we call on the lost children without a father. We call them. We knock on their door. We, we get on Facebook. We, we invite them to join us. Have you invited someone with you to Sunday worship lately? And if not, why not? Why haven't you? What else do we do? What else do we do in the name of Jesus? Maybe we work at the church camp. Maybe we contribute, support the Bible college 
We go and personally work with our missionaries. Sure, we open our wallets, but we also roll up our sleeves. We run that Christian race of good works for those around us. Not because this gift of salvation isn't free, but because we're called to pass it on. We're called to pass it on from here to Calvary. Little uh, personal story for you here. It was one that required a taste of coffee first. Recently, I was at a local restaurant. And I was wearing one of my county-famous Ferris Church of Christ t-shirts. I love those shirts. They're my favorite thing to wear all week except for my Rock Lake shirts. And I'm not just saying that because Luke's sitting right there. But I was wearing one of my Ferris Church of Christ shirts, and an older gentleman noticed the back. He noticed the Go Teach Baptize mission statement on the back of this particular shirt. And apparently it inspired the man to come over and point out to me that he liked the slogan. He liked the shirt. And I could tell from his comments that he was a believer. Well, a couple moments later into the conversation, a gentleman pulled out a Ziploc bag that he had tucked into his pocket. The bag was full of little homemade wooden crosses, you know, maybe about yay big. He reached in the bag and he brought out three of those little crosses and he gave them to me. And as he, as he put those crosses into my hand, he, he told me that they had been handmade, they'd been sold to him by a vendor in the Holy Land. Uh, this individual had made his way recently to some of those places in the world where Jesus actually walked. Uh, has anybody been there? I've, I've never been there. I'd, I'd sure like to uh, go someday. This gentleman had, had gone, he'd gotten these crosses, and he'd come back with, uh, to him, this was something special to show for his journey, right? And these crosses had meant so much to this gentleman in the time that passed, he just, he wanted to pass them on. He wanted to share them with others. He had hoped I'd do the same with the, with the extra crosses that he gave to me. So I smiled, and, and I thanked this world traveler. And before he made his way out of the restaurant, I stopped, and I said a little prayer. I said a little prayer to God. I, I thank God for providing a, uh, that man, those crosses, and also for providing an appropriate end uh, to this message. So here it comes. You know, the idea of a cross that has traveled from the Holy Land, Right? has gone from Jerusalem the whole world over. This is an idea that's still being passed on. And I was reminded of that. It only took one person. He was a divine person. But one person to start the message, to share it with others. And just like that stranger in that restaurant that day, it's up to us, you and I, to keep passing the message of Jesus on the cross along to others. We may say, it's a big job. It might be a big job for 50, 60, 70, 80 of us uh, this morning. Give up our time, resources, for the sake of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. I know that Art Van may be declaring bankruptcy, but they make some really good chairs. But love, true love, not just you know, Hallmark candy and holiday love. True love doesn't ever call for comfortability, does it? It calls for the cross. It calls for the cross. I said this recently in a sermon, but I think it's appropriate again this morning. Consider that Jesus originally cho chose just 12 people 
to carry their cross and take its message across the world. So imagine, there's way more than 12 of us here this morning. 12 times several, right? Imagine what all of us could accomplish together as Ferris Church of Christ. And if the love, grace, and mercy of God given to you freely in Jesus, who died for you, if this has meant anything to you, I challenge you, this year, month, week, afternoon, when you leave this place, if you get the opportunity, pass it on. Invite someone with you maybe next week to worship. Just invite someone or plant that seed of, of salvation. See what God does with it. Or call up a friend, call up a neighbor, visit someone who is hurting. Stop by and help serve at our baby pantry. Because you don't necessarily have to go teach, baptize across the planet. I think sometimes we think, you know, oh, I got to go to uh, somewhere and learn a clicking language to be used by God. No. But you do have to go somewhere to someone who waits who has to hear before they can believe. Jesus won't save the whole world. That's bad news. Let's flip that over. The good news is he did die for the whole world. He did die for the whole world. And he loves every single one of us, here and not here, so much. Does his love mean the whole world for you as well? I pray that it does, folks. Would you pray with me? Lord, as we've met today with you at this table, as we've, as we've come to you and opened your word and hopefully opened our hearts and listened to what you would have to tell us. Lord, I pray that it would be that reminder to us. However we serve you, wherever you've placed us, that we would remember what's truly important in this life. It's so easy, Lord, for us to get caught up in the world, and we don't mean to. Life is difficult. It's not easy to be the, the right parent or the right grandparent or you name it. We know this, Lord. But Lord, we know that in your perfection, you gave everything up for every one of us. Help us remember that this free gift, as was said earlier, when we come up out of those waters of baptism, people that have accepted that gift of grace, it doesn't stop with us, but it's the beginning of a new journey in you to finish the work that has been given for us. Lord, I pray that whatever it is in our life that holds us back from being those Christians to the world, from being those evangelists, 
to you and your promises that you've called us to be. I pray that you would lay it on our hearts. Help us, Lord, to know our place. Be confident of what you do through us. Help us to remember, Lord, that you're, you're our Father. You love us so much. You won't leave us. You won't leave us hanging. And that you come to us. Your spirit convicts us and speaks to us through your word. So Lord, we have all we need in you. We just need to act upon it every day. Lord, we can't imagine how much it pains you that people that you have made turn their backs. Help us, Lord, to live in such a way that instead they would face forward, that they would look up and they would see the sun. It is in the name of Jesus to pray these things. Amen. Think we know for sure our God saves. Amen. This morning, if you have a public decision to make, if you haven't gone down into those waters of baptism and come up a new creation, or if you haven't placed your membership with us here today, if you've already been a baptized believer, we invite you to come forward and do that. Or if you have another decision that you'd like to make, we do invite you to come forward. I'm going to stand and sing this song, this powerful song, this reminder. Again, this life is difficult. And we deal with darkness every day. But the light of the world has come onto us. And he's given us everything. And he's given us everything we need from here on to eternity. Do we truly believe this? Can we live it? Can we live it? Would you stand and let's sing. Let's sing this song together.